Uh, thank you, Eric. You um, say a lot of things that so I see we had a discussion before we before you had your presentation. I can see myself in in your presentation. The first thing I want to do is to introduce myself. I'm from Cameroon because I've, I've answered a lot of questions, written a lot of exams, attended a lot of interviews, and I've passed almost all my exams. But I've never succeeded in answering the question, where are you from? Because everywhere, every day, I have to keep answering that question, where are you from? And so I felt that I've never succeeded in answering the question and getting a pass mark. So I will keep answering that question till I am not where I have to answer that question. So I'm from Cameroon. Please don't ask me again, where are you from? Except I failed in your assessment. The second thing is I'm going to be using the words migrant academics and native academics reluctantly because I'm allergic to those two concepts, the way they have been mediatized and the way they are mediated in the uh, political discourses. Um, we talk about immigrant, too many immigrants here, and in the, among the immigrants there are migrant workers, and that seems to be an acceptable uh, uh, way of looking at it. But it looks nicer when I hear the word native, native academic, when I contrast it to migrant academic. The other one is too extreme and really rude and brutal, and the other one is very beautiful. And that reminds me of the first day I arrived in the UK. I'd read up about the country, uh, did English history, literature, lots of things. I even think today that we know more about um, Britain than the Brits know more about themselves and about other people because we study history, the language, the literature, Shakespeare, Chaucer, all over the place. So when I arrive at the airport, the first thing is I see two uh, queues, we call them lines. One is nationals and EU people, and I'm actually skillfully directed to the other queue. I'm like, what is happening here? Is that the meaning of equality and diversity? And I became so curious when I went to the immigration desk, to the police border control services. I was curious because I was next to the queue where um, EU migrants or EU nationals were. And I wanted to hear the type of questions that they were asking them. They were totally different. It was just like looking at your passport, whether you were Polish, you were from Romania, just looking at your passport and saying, go through. And then I was there, 20 minutes, they're still asking me questions. Where are you from? How, how long will you be here? The visa actually states everything. My paperwork is there. Where is the last airport you came from? Um, in fact, I answered all the questions. It's getting to 30 minutes. I noticed on the other side, about 20 people have passed. And I'm still here. And the queue where I'm standing is longer. And he started telling me, welcome to the United Kingdom. The only thing they didn't ask me is what sort of food you are carrying in your stomach. And I would have been interesting, interesting to tell them that I'm carrying food from my country. So that alone started telling me I am going to have a different experience in this country. And so the, the presentation I have draws from the chapter I contributed to the book. And it's actually about how do I feel as an academic in the United Kingdom? And how do I feel about 
the native academics. I prefer to call them host country academics. How do I feel about them? And the third and final point is, how do I feel they feel about me? Or what do I think they think about me? And so I gathered that through my experience in Scotland, where I was at the University of Strathclyde, and then to Liverpool Hope University. I've actually worked in France, um, but this experience in France is similar to that of Cameroon, because Cameroon is a former French colony, and the language there is French, so we follow the system of education. So I decided to exclude France and talk about something where the culture is a little bit more uh, wider apart. So, um, I'll tell you a bit about Cameroon. It's a former French colony, one third of it being English colonial, uh, having on a gone English colonial rule. Because after the Second World War, the Germans were defeated. They were the former colonial masters. They were defeated, and then by the British and the French. And so Cameroon was divided into two. One third of it was given to the British, and then two thirds was to the French. And eventually the whole country has become um, almost French-speaking. So up to 1991, the university, we had just one university, and that was the University of Yaoundé. Um, so the, the whole population of university entering age had to go to that university. And we're talking about a population then of 11 million. Um, even the English-speaking students had to be taught in French, uh, those who came from the one-third of former British colonial section of Cameroon. So we talk about official state bilingualism in Cameroon, which means there are supposed to be two official languages, English and French. But that's why I use the word official, because in a nutshell, it's just French, which is the official language in Cameroon. So I started by telling you that we had just one university for over 11 million people. Um, and that has to tell you the student-teacher ratio. Um, from primary, secondary, right up to university, there are large class sizes. So we have literally one lecturer teaching over 3,000 students at, 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 at one particular time. And interaction is very limited because of that. Um, you cannot reach out to many students in that direction. But what is important is that the teacher has complete control over the 3,000 students that they have um, because everybody knows why they are in school, why they are at university. They are well disciplined, they know what they want to come and get, they know that they, if they miss one second of the lecture, they might not have the opportunity to get it because it's it's a developing country which is under-resourced and you get opportunities to learn by listening to, the, to, to, to your lecturer. So discipline, despite the large class sizes, is very, is very hard. Um, another reality is that the assessment practice is actually assessment of learning and it's taken very seriously. We write exams in Cameroon from primary one right up to the last year of your university studies. So from primary school, you move to the next class by passing your exam. If you don't pass, you don't go to the next level. You stay back until you pass your exam. Uh, 
So it's not about categorizing students in terms of age or year groups and things like that. It's about demonstrating that you meet the content threshold of that particular class level and by passing your exam you can then move to the next level. Um, feedback is not a process that we take seriously because like I said the class sizes are so large that one teacher can have 3,000 students at university and so the one-to-one -one opportunity for feedback is almost inexistent so you depend on the notes that the teacher has actually given or put on your scripts and then you read to know whether you've uh, uh, where you went wrong and how you can improve. The respect that is accorded the teaching profession is so high. Teachers are respected in the country. Not in terms of how much their pay package is, but they look at it as a calling, as a noble, they call it a noble profession. And I just sum up what the Minister of Higher Education told striking teachers who were asking for better working conditions. This is what he told them. My interest here is that, is in the last sentence, uh, you lead where others are unwilling to lead and you have the power of intellectual wealth. So don't talk about material gains. Don't talk about better working conditions. You should be interested in the fact that you make change. You are the envy of the population because you have knowledge. Parents respect you, politicians respect you, students respect you. And so don't worry about resources. That's why it's one of the most underpaid professions in, in Cameroon. So you can start seeing the contrast in the United Kingdom or in, in Europe. So I thought at the University of Strathclyde, which is in Glasgow, smaller class sizes of 1 to 15, especially at the level of tutorials, you can have um, large lectures of 100, 150, 250 students, um, but that's not a very regular occurrence. It could be once in a week that you can deliver a lecture of that magnitude. But then the students are divided into small groups to be attended to by lecturers in, in tutorial groups. Teaching is from day one, during orientation, they tell you teaching is student-led. And it's understandable because of that one-to-one -one kind of uh, necessary contact. Assessment of learning for learning and assessment as learning are all taken, given the same weight. And of course, feedback is a very important, important thing. Very, very important. Um, we do more feedback than we do teaching because you need to always let the students know where they are and at what point they are. And I think it's one of the areas that is assessed in the National Student Survey, how much feedback and how good is that feedback. Um, the teacher is a facilitator and the teacher is an administrator, and the teacher is a carer, the teacher is a researcher, the teacher is everything here. I could hear you, um, Eric, saying that you went to do photocopy, and they told you no in Trinidad and Tobago. But here the teacher is everything. You do everything. You almost have to do parenting roles in the classroom. So, the teacher as a researcher, you've got to meet ref commitment. But do you have the time? Students are hardly wrong. You cannot tell a student that this is the wrong answer. You have to actually negotiate their answer and make them realize where they went wrong, if you can succeed. Huge reliance on ICT, which is a good thing in the 21st century, but that my area here is, the, I mean, creativity is at some point is 
destroyed. Just imagine if this power, if, if this uh, 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 electricity goes off and this thing goes away now. I'm, I'm sure this seminar is going to end. Uh, we will have to resort to other means that will turn around and there are only two persons listening to us. Research informed teaching. And this is an area where I found very difficult. Research informed teaching. And I ask myself, whose research is informing whose <coughs> teaching? Because I noticed that I could teach for a whole year without quoting an article I've written, without talking about my research. So I'm talking about other people's research, which is informing my teaching. Not my teaching being informed by my research, because I am teaching what I have been asked to teach, but I'm researching what I am interested in researching. So there is a, a kind of a dissonance here. Um, course evaluation by students. How much do the students know to evaluate the lecturers? We don't have that in Cameroon. And are they having a bad day and then just crossing out everything? Are they evaluating performance? Are they evaluating that they like you? Are you nice to them? What are the students evaluating? And what are the consequences if the evaluation is biased? It frightens me when I hear my students have to evaluate me. I would prefer my colleagues to actually evaluate me because they know where they're coming from and we can have a debate or a discussion about that. Teaching in non-specialist areas. And sometimes you actually have lectures prepared by other people or tutorials prepared by other people to go and teach. And so it's a little bit different. So those are areas that I had difficulties in. But how did that affect me? Marginalization. That was a very, very serious thing that I started experiencing from the airport. Why did I have to use a different immigration service from EU nationals and from UK nationals? And of course, reading, uh, reading chapters in the book and other literature, why are we talking about migrant academics? When from my country in Cameroon and other African countries I've been to, we don't talk about migrant workers. We talk we call them expatriates. Expatriates, very nice word. But here there are migrants. So I started feeling, am I equal? Is there really that concept of equality? And it affects your confidence level. What is it in you which makes you to be devalued, not to be recognized like every other person? Again, at the level of students, how do I stretch the students without not making them feel uncomfortable and giving me a wrong assessment when they're evaluating my course? Do I play along with them so that they're happy and then evaluate my course positively? Can we still have challenging students and teach them in a challenging manner while having that balance of positive evaluation outcome, engaging classrooms, and then keeping them on top of the game as far as that discipline is concerned? The spaces of being a good teacher and a good researcher could not be well mediated because the emphasis is on ref. Students don't pay to come to university for ref. They pay to be taught. But I could always hear my colleagues saying, you have to think about your research because when you are leaving this university, you are not taking away your teaching. It is how much you publish. So focus on research. And so the teaching becomes a secondary aspect but I was recruited as a lecturer, not as a teacher. And that's something that I had difficulties with because in the French-speaking system, research is devolved to, to research institutions that are affiliated to the university. 
the university lecturer decides to engage in research. They are not obligated to engage in research. And so, and that's, that again plays into the concept of promotions and things like that. They always ask you about your research. So I found that I am letting down my students because the amount of time I put in in research is less than the amount of time I can actually put in for the role I was recruited, for the benefit of those sitting in front of me. So I always think of the next move. And I think um, Eric must have a very good CV to be moving from one university to the other. And that's probably based on your research than on the good teaching that you've been doing. So. Yeah, cultural dissonance with colleagues. One thing I've noticed here is the continuous discussion about um, equality and diversity. But I noticed that they do value difference, but they don't value the difference in opinion, in professional practice, in knowledge. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to go through all the retraining. Um, I wouldn't have been able to, to be asked to fit in rather than to have my previous experiences integrated and negotiated into uh, the teaching. So it leads me to withdraw, sort of withdraw, because I'm becoming very suspicious. I withdraw away into what Gideon calls a protective cocoon. You know, you integrate, but inwardly you look for people who sympathize with you, who are like you, rather than people who are different to you, and you go away from them. So. That kind of blending is almost absent. And that's the experience I actually highlight here. The conclusion here is international academics and in this paper, professional immigrants in a foreign country have various prior personal understandings and concerns that are being enacted in different ways. Often it's very conflicting because of the representation of otherness. There, are, there is that implicit feeling that there is another person here who is not us. And as a result, they find themselves questioning so many things. Am I really a successful teacher? Am I as good as I was before, before they recruited me? Can I be as good as the people who are questioning me? Am I doubted by the people I'm working with? And so quite often, you are in a reflective practice. How do I become better as in the eyes of the other person who is the host person? And then you start wondering if the other person is also questioning themselves how they can become better in your own eyes. So it becomes a vertical relationship rather than a horizontal relationship. Thank you.